Wherever you are in your adoption journey, we are a community centered around love, trust, and respect for the experience and opportunities that have made us families. We promise to share, encourage, support, and celebrate the day-to-day of adoptive mamahood together. I'm Liz. And I'm Sarah. And together, we are Two Adoptive Mamas. Hi, friends, and welcome back to the Two Adoptive Mamas podcast. Sarah here, and I'll give a nod to Liz. Hey, Liz. Hello. We are recording in separate locations this evening, which is not the norm for us. Um, but anyways, we are so glad to be here and super excited to be talking with Kanisha from Tutus and Tennis Shoes. We're thrilled to learn from Kanisha about all the important work she's doing to resource transracial adoptive families, specifically when it comes to hair care. So if you're not already connected with Kanisha on Instagram, YouTube, utilizing her original courses or reading her blog, I am certain that after we learn more from her tonight, you'll be checking out those spaces. So Kanisha, welcome. We are so glad to have you. Well, thank you. I'm so happy to be on. I love that introduction, by the way. I need to hire you. Can you introduce me to like other things. You got it. You got it. Thank you. Sarah, Sarah is a really good copywriter. She knows what, she knows what she's doing. <laughs> Kanisha, we're so excited to have you. Um, we want to kick things off and see uh, what is your connection to the adoption community in any and in all capacities? How are you connected to it? <laughs> so what's interesting is um, the adoption community found me. I had a children's salon and actually at this time, I didn't even have my own salon yet. I was renting a booth and um, a transracial adoptive family came in. And I think after they left, they must've put out like a huge memo to everybody else and didn't tell me because (laughs) all of a sudden I was getting more transracial adoptive families. And um, I soon moved into my own space instead of just renting a booth in another salon. I saw very quickly that my kiddos needed their own space. We needed to make noise. We needed to cry. We needed our parents to stand right in the way. Like we had needs that sharing a space just did not fit. Um, and so they, I say the transracial adoptive families found me and they also have pushed me and, and educated me and saved me. Um, so that's how I got introduced, um, to, it's like a whole other little world inside of our community. So that's awesome. And Kanisha, I want you to tell us about your business, but first I need to ask tutus and tennis shoes. How, how did you come up with that name? I'm so curious. (laughs) Um, because I'm spastic. And so (laughs) no, when my son was in kindergarten, there was this song, a little girl had made like this rap song and it was tutus and tennis shoes, tutus and tennis shoes. And like all the kids would get excited. Even the little boys would get excited. Right. But to me, that song and like watching a little girl in her video, it just really, really, um, it, it was really impactful for me. I, I saw a little girl that was defining her own life. She was really cute in her little skirt and it was frilly, but she also had on her tennis shoes. She could rock with anybody. She, like if she wanted to, she'd go play sports if she wanted to, or she could, you know, like she could go toe to toe with anybody in whatever capacity 
capacity that she wanted to. And so for me, that was a great representation of what I want little girls to feel like. I want them to feel empowered. I want them to feel like they don't have to be predefined by somebody else. They're here to come into this world to make changes and to put their mark on the world. And so that's what tutus and tennis shoes means to me. Everybody else is like, so do you sell tennis shoes at all? Like, and then people can't pronounce tutus, even with, this is rebranding. Oh, like no. the font that I have now is a rebranding because people would pronounce it jujus or it was, <laughs> it was amazing. And I'm like, so you guys have never heard of the tutu skirts, like <laughs> dancers. Right. I love it. I think it's so catchy. Okay. So tell us about your business. Tell us what you're doing. So I am now a hair care education company. I started out as a brick and mortar children's salon in Des Moines, Iowa. And um, over time, like I said, as the families found me, they were gracious enough to teach me about their needs and teach me about their experiences in other salons or being caught in between very polarizing salons, um, being caught in between polarizing communities. As much as we would like to think that our society has moved forward and we are not segregated, we are completely segregated. And um, transracially adopted kids, the black kiddos seem to get caught in the mix the most. And so as my first few families came in and started really teaching me what they needed, I started to hone in and try to have more of what they needed. Um, so some of the first things was like having hard bubble gum to chew for the kids that had sensory issues and having calm down jars and having like flowers hanging over the shampoo bowl. So I could tell them like, let's look at the flowers. What do you see? Like make up a story so they could get over their fear of having their hair shampooed. Um, and as I kept working with my kids and people were driving, like people were making weekend family trips to come to tutus and tennis shoes. I was like, okay, so how can I reach more families who can't pick up and just make a trip to come? Or how do I reach these families who have done that, but need more than um, like a yearly hairstyle? Like I need to be able to help them long-term. And so I started an online class and I call it the janky online class. Um, because it wasn't a Facebook group at first and I didn't know how to like put it on a platform. I didn't know, I didn't know any of that. I just knew that I wanted to be able to teach and reach these families that were somewhere else. And so I put in a Facebook group and like people would have to wait for the launch date. And of course I would get all kinds of emails about how that launch date didn't work for them. And then like people would miss the lives. Oh, it was a hot mess hot mess but even in that hot mess I was able to teach families and like I was able to get them to for me teaching a white adoptive parent who's no who had had no prior education getting them all the way to the point where their child's hair is healthy thriving and they can cornrow girl there is no higher metal for me and so I was able to do that even in that janky class and for me I saw the difference in families when they felt confident that they could completely take care of their child where something that had been so intimidating and overwhelming prior was now like something that they took pride in and it was a new bonding moment for their kid and they got to light up when their daughter was on the playground shaking her beads and was excited and confident. And so when I say Tutu saved me, those testimonies and those people letting me know that I was that, that what I was doing was that important to their family, got me through homelessness, got me through depression, Tutus save me in ways that people try to tell me I'm saving them, but they don't realize it's, it's a mutual thing. And so anyway, you asked me what I'm doing now. <laughs> so now there is no salon. I, to I totally focus on 
um, education and I serve families through an online platform. And so now the class is not janky. It has modules and you can take it at any time. So you don't have to wait on me to run it for two weeks. If you are a person that stays up at three o'clock in the morning, that's your only quiet time. You can go on and catch a you know short 10 minute module and then um, you can catch the, the next ones later. I also do one-on-ones, um, which people can schedule through the website. And I just came out with a booklet. So the booklet is going out to adoption agencies and foster care agencies free for now. And then parents who really would like an individual booklet or whatever, they can download the ebook. Um, I'm doing it that way because I want people to have access to some kind of education from the jump. And agencies were telling me about their budgets. I didn't want to hear that. <laughs> so you can't tell me about your budget when I offer you some education for free. So take these booklets and we'll come back to the drawing board. Kanisha, you're empowering everyone. I mean, not just the kiddos who you're helping with their hair, but the whole family and these agencies. That's awesome. Thank you for explaining that. No I also wish when I was a foster mama that I could have come to you. So I'm just like, I'm no, I'm, I'm serious. Like to see your face light up. It makes, it makes my heart smile to see like, and think about all of the people that you are encouraging and helping. Um, so, and it, a little, a little bit of a way it kind of connects to our next question. We want to, um, kind of dive into that educational piece, uh, for, uh, white adoptive parents, um, or just, I guess, any adoptive parent that's not black. Um, if you kind of want to talk to us a little bit about that connection between culture and hair care and why that's something that we really need to try to understand, or at least begin to understand, um, start learning about, <laughs> Yeah, sure, sure. So what's interesting is black hair care has a lot of nuances that plays um, into other things than just aesthetics. And a lot of times white parents will approach it as, oh, this is just something that is aesthetically pleasing. Um, black women are taking so much time and effort in their hair because they want to look a certain way. They just, you know, it's, it's more of a vain thing. Um, and that's completely incorrect. It's like, yeah, we like being beautiful, but also there is culture in our hair care. Um, there is history in our hair care. So a lot of our cornrow styles, a lot of our techniques actually pay homage to Africa, even though most of us don't know from what country we come from. Um, we don't know a lot of our lineage, but this is some of the traditions and just little bits and pieces that we actually got to save throughout the years of our history. The other thing is our society, like I said, is still very polarized and segregated. And so white women may decide, well, I'm only gonna get my hair cut, you know, once a season and that's totally okay. She's not really, um, it doesn't really come up as a problem at work or in the grocery store even, nobody really looks at her twice. Um, with black women, our hair is scrutinized by almost everybody. Um, our society is very much so still set on Eurocentric beauty standards instead of having the diverse beauty standard. And so a lot of times when we are wearing our hair natural, we are prejudged versus um, given an opportunity to show our expertise or show that we belong in the space that we're in. So for instance, when Michelle Obama was the, um, was the president's wife, uh, the first lady, gosh, I was having a brain fart, I'm sorry. For instance, 
when Michelle Obama was our first lady, she mostly wore her hair straight because in that high of a position, um, there would have been some backlash and extra talk about her hair wearing it natural. That is still the you know, the state of society that we are in. And as you see now that she's not first lady, she's wearing her hair in more curly, natural styles. Um, and there's so many examples. If you really look in media, how a lot of times in order for black women to get the part, we need to look more Eurocentric than not. Um, and so really instilling in our young girls at an early age that their beauty their beauty, how they came to this earth, how God created them is perfect no matter what media says, no matter what society says, because they will be bombarded with images and with comments and things that reinforce this idea that somehow they came to this planet incorrectly. So Kanisha, let's keep digging a little bit deeper there. So talk to us about the connection of a healthy hair routine and building confidence in your child. Yeah, so a healthy hair care routine. So imagine if you always had to wear a dirty shirt, you would feel kind of ashamed after a while because you're always in the same dirty shirt. Um, you never get to wear anything new and cute. It's never clean. Somehow you feel like, well, what's wrong? Like, why do I have to wear this shirt? Well, that's a shirt and you could take it off. But what if that was your own hair and everybody around you could not help you solve that problem? So every time you walked into a room, you immediately felt like there was already something wrong with you. There was already something that people were going to stare at, have something to talk about. You already felt like you were unattractive and not enough. When you have a young lady and you're taking that time to learn how to take care of her hair and then you're sitting down with her and that it's a very intimate thing when you're sitting with your child and you take those couple of hours to do their hair they're getting that positive touch they're getting that affection they're being shown love in action and they are also learning how to love and take care of themselves then they have that confidence when they come out the house and they go into public spaces or they go to school or whatever you know they already know that somebody deeply cares and puts that time in and then they have the you know a lot of times now we get into the like aesthetic so then they have the cute beads or they have the intricate braids and nobody else has them just like them so they're able to really feel their uniqueness and feel good in that when that's missing, it takes a toll on people. And a lot of times, if you listen to tra adult transracial adoptees, it took a very deep toll on them that was very hard for them to shake. And some of them don't shake it. Some of them have a really hard time connecting with Black culture or Black people in general. They always feel um, kind of um, insecure because they know they don't know how to take care of their hair and skin. That, that can be, that's, that's an easy thing we can take care of out of all the things that, that you know, we're going to have to unpack as an adult. Don't let it be here. We, we can take care of that easy. Thank you. I think um, one, one of the things that you had posted about um, on, through your Instagram account, um, it gave, I can't remember when it was, but it gave some really good uh, things for people who are not black to think about specifically when it comes to not only just hair, but like this, uh, kind of tension that you're describing and the differences in the culture of how, um, there's some education and some like additional understanding needed. Mm -hmm. Um, and so one of the things that you had recommend was finding black educators who are willing to share their expertise. And it sounds like you're a great one uh, oh. for food or for food. <laughs> It sounds like you're a great one for hair. 
Um, it sounds like you're a great one for hair. And I, I'm wondering if you uh, have any suggestions um, or advice for someone who is a transracial adoptive mom or you know, adoptive parent to look for black educators who are willing to share their expertise in other areas of things that we might want to know about. Yeah. So my, some of the easiest ways to find black educators in other subjects is to start using the hashtags, honestly. So if you're looking for, um, I don't know, a black art teacher, like literally use that as a, a hashtag or a black artist as a transracial adoptive parent, immersing yourself in the culture as much as possible is going to be imperative anyway, because there's some things that are not going to be a very blatant conversation. But if you have multiple inputs coming in and you are seeing black culture from multiple views, you'll have a better understanding of some of the nuances without anybody having to give you a checklist because there really is no checklist and black isn't a, isn't a monolith. They're, how I live my life and express my blackness is not gonna be the same as even my brother who grew up in the same house, my friend that's in the living room, my mom, you know, and definitely not the, you know, 2000 people in New York or the ones over in Cali. So I use hashtags a lot because sometimes there's things in, in my own culture that I want to know more about. And then I stumble on, so to get to your question, I stumble on those educators that are putting out that great content and maybe already have a book out. So maybe I want to learn more about um, African spirituality or um, our history of our spirituality or something like that. I start with the hashtags. Um, then I follow up on YouTube. Like I might find a great page on Instagram, then I follow up on YouTube and I listen to some of their talks and then I go find their books. Um, so that's that's the main way that I find people. I'm not able to think of any names right off the top of my head. <laughs> no, that's okay. I think, um, so you mentioned already that, you know, you're sharing your ebook with families and a booklet with agencies, which is awesome. And I think that being able to share different aspects of culture um, is important for adoptive families. And, you know, my son is from China. And so I wish that there was an equivalent um, and I'm sure there is, <laughs> but just to, you know, yeah. have, have people who are willing to share information um, with agencies and families like that. And so thank you for that advice. Um, and I think, you know, looking at hashtags is a great way to start and it's a great way to like, see what's out there. Yeah, we're on social media a lot anyway. So um, in, my, <laughs> in my personal life, I've tried to be more diligent about my idle scrolling. Um, so for me, I end up looking up more self-help things and like business help. But for a parent who wanted to know more about a particular culture or maybe even a particular art style or something, um, it's, it's advantageous. Uh, yeah, like it helps you to go the extra mile and like, um, design your newsfeed, basically, like put things in your scroll that, that you're going to scroll by that help feed your, your curiosity. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I think too, Kanisha, we've talked about this before on the podcast. Um, earlier in our episodes, we had Leslie word. She joined us to talk about transracial adoption. And I remember us chatting about the fact that like in the home study process, a social worker might say, so would you be open to transracial adoption and like, how would you adjust your community? And, um, and sometimes that's like where the conversation stops and there's really not like, okay, this is what this would look like. Or when we ask you if you're open to that or how you would implement that, you know, in your family life, like mm -hmm. here's some of the things we're talking about. So I'm wondering, um, 
you know, you probably have, uh, come across parents who are more than willing, but like, just didn't know where to start, like didn't have the resources at their fingertips. And so I think you've given very simple, but effective ways for our listeners who have those questions to begin searching, um, for those that can help them in their journey. I feel like, I mean, I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. This is your episode, girl. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is you are trying to build, you're trying to build normalcy around your child. And if every time you are going to venture off into black culture, it's like a field trip, then that still is ostracizing your child, you know? So if you are putting a few more, um, if you are like, designing your news feed to include some culture if your podcasts that you listen to are varied if the books that you have in your house are varied if the art you have in your house it begins to be just a lifestyle and not um special events where your child gets to oh we're gonna go see black people today like no that's not (laughs) that's not how we're gonna approach it you just you have to find little ways to bring it full circle for you and make it almost holistic where it's just um, it's again, just a lifestyle. Like I can't think of a better way to say it. Yeah, no, I think you are leading us into our next question. Well, I mean, we talk about this a lot and you've alluded to this, but those relationships are really important and just making all of this a natural part of your family unit. And so my question is how can we model, um, the importance of relationships for our kids, especially when we're trying to make sure that, you know, in a transracial adoption situation that they have mirrors in their life Mm -hmm. and they can establish culturally relevant connections. Okay. So one of the things I noticed in some of the adoption groups, um, especially the ones that are centered around educating white parents of black culture, it begins to feel like black people are from a different, a different planet by the questions Um, And that's not what we should do because your kid will pick up on that and they will feel like they are definitely not fitting in when they are around black people. So if y'all are at the playground and you see a black mom, don't be weird about it. (laughs) She's human. She's a mom. She's all the things just like you are and how you would strike up a conversation if she wasn't black. um, If you didn't have some of the preconceived notions or nervousness or insecurities, try to go from that confident place that you would be in your mind and body any other time and strike up those conversations, make it genuine. I see a lot of parents are like, you know, making a checklist out of this. Well, I went to a black church one Sunday every month. And, you know, my son goes to a school and there's 35 black kids. And like, it can't be that rigid. It it just can't be. Um, It doesn't work. Your kid, again, will pick up on it and they will still feel odd when they're trying to build those um, connections. Believe it, yes, culturally, we have some things across the board as Black people that we all can kind of bounce back and forth and say, oh yeah, you know they Black win. But in general, there's no particular way to be Black. There's no particular sound. There's no particular color. There's no particular ethnic makeup. So that's another thing I hear in some of these groups. Parents have a hard time understanding that their biracial child is Black and that they don't have to have a certain percentage to be considered Black. Once you affirm them in Black, and yes, you can say one of your biological parents was white, but you are Black, then they feel more confident and they're able to go in these spaces in a confident body and mind space. But when you are constantly, you know, kind of 
in between him hawing back and forth. You're not so sure. Well, don't forget this and don't forget that. That's more of a, a Eurocentric way or a white way of thinking. Whiteness demands that you are pure. Blackness does not. We understand that most people who are Black are mixed with something, whether it is some kind of Native American, whether it is white, whether it, I mean, we just understand that Black comes in a variety of colors. And so um, again, adoptive parents try to take like this checklist effect to building relationships and immersing their kid in Blackness. And you don't really have to be that rigid. That was great. And I also, um, one of the things that I was going to mention is how I think it's so important that we grow with our kiddo. And so, um, what you just touched on was a really good example of that as well. Um, you know, like you're having different conversations with your kiddos as they get older. And I think, um, us being able to educate and understand and uh, along with them, but, and like you said, like not hemming and hawing and just, you know, asserting confidence, ensuring them, um, uh, encouraging them, uh, to learn what it is that they want to learn and express themselves in the way that they would like to, and, uh, being able and being fluid as a parent to be able to walk that journey with them, um, and learn with them. I think that's really important. So definitely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Well, Kanisha, do you have any final piece of advice for our listeners? Um, you've shared so much already, but we always like to give our guests a, oh, any final concluding, like big encouragement pieces. So parenting is hard in general, right? There is no manual for any kind of parent. And then we throw transracial adoption um, in there. I would say, give yourself some grace and it's going to feel overwhelming and you're going to make some missteps but be open to continuing to learn. And like you said, continuing to grow with your baby. And as long as you are that way and you are genuine in, in that openness to learn and that willingness to learn and, and you are genuine in knowing that sometimes you might make a mistake and you might have to apologize, you might have to clear it up or whatever, you'll be fine. You'll make those relationships. You know, you don't have to come into it with so much angst and insecurity um, you'll make those relationships and people will become your village. That's a part of our culture anyway. So you won't really have to worry about it. And some of the questions that were so big to you before will just be answered in your interaction and your relationships. And you won't even have to ask them sometimes. Wow. Awesome. So mic drop, we can end there. <laughs> However, I'd love for you to share with our listeners how they can stay connected uh, to all the things that you offer. What's the best way to find you? <laughs> So the best way to find me is probably on Instagram, honestly. Um, I spend a lot of time putting fresh content on Instagram and then just pushing it to Facebook. Um, but I am on Facebook. I do check often. Um, but start at Instagram. Go to my highlights. It'll give you some, um, some insights on like what I'm doing or how to, you know, go about taking the class or scheduling a one-on-one. Um, so my name on Instagram is tutus underscore tennis underscore shoes. And if you want to skip that and you just want to go to the website, then it's tutus tennisshoes.com. Awesome. And we will make sure that we share all of those things in our show notes for this episode. But Kanisha, thank you so much for sharing your heart uh, and just your story and your journey. It's inspiring and encouraging. And we're really grateful that we had you. And uh, maybe we'll have a round two where we can highlight one of your little modules to learn something about that. That would be awesome. But thanks be. for tonight. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. wait till I come off a hair care tour though, because... <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, we'll wait for after the hair care tour. That sounds Thank good. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for your time. And for those of you listening, remember, you've got this, Mama. Thanks so much for listening. In this episode, we were able to connect with Kanisha Tillman from Tutus and Tennis Shoes to talk all things hair care, especially for transracial adoptive families. It was so special to learn about her business, passion for connecting with adoptive families, and heart to help everyone reveal their inner beauty by making sure that top-notch hair care is the norm. If you haven't already, click subscribe so that you don't miss what's next with two adoptive mamas. And if you're feeling extra generous, we'd love a review. Thanks in advance. Until next week, remember, you've got this, mama.